0: Is that better? There we go. Now, good morning again. Even though you all heard me, (laughs) Uh, I am grateful to be here uh, with you this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two, we're going to be looking at the first ten verses together. If you're not there already, please turn to Ephesians chapter two. Let me just say, as we are here together to study the Word of God, how grateful we are to see. Uh, Andrew back with us, praise the Lord and all the work that he has done in you. I know that many, we have been praying for you for months. You have had many people come to come alongside you and encourage you, and it's a great encouragement to be able to stand here and see you back with us. So thank you for being here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, as we are going, there is um, a lot of news and a lot of products that tell us that if we get this thing or if we hear about this, that your life will be changed forever. It can be something as simple as an ad about a diet, right? And you see before and after pictures, and people say, because I stuck to this diet, because I started eating this food or doing this thing, my life has changed, and I lost 150 pounds, or whatever it is. Um, Or it could be something as grave as 9-11, Some news that has come to us that has changed our life forever, has changed the way we looked at our country, it's changed the way we act in the world as a country, how we perceive ourselves, how we get on a plane, our life has changed forever. But this morning, I want to tell you about the greatest news that has ever been delivered to humanity. It has life-changing quality to it. And I know this because it has changed my life. So I beg you, please, as we are going through this text, hear me and consider this news that will change your life if you obey it. So I pray as we go through this Ephesians chapter 2 that we would be able to see three right responses to the greatest news in history, three right responses to salvation and as we read this text together, would you stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, In Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. and This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you. would you be seated? As we look together at Ephesians chapter 2, this is the greatest news that I could share with you. This is the greatest news that anyone could ever communicate to you that humanity has ever received. If you are going to be obedient to this text, your life will be drastically changed forever. And not only this life, but the life that is to come. So we see three things, three ways that we need to respond to this great salvation that God has offered to us. First, we need to refuse our old life. Refuse your old life. This text starts out by saying that we are dead in transgressions and sins. What does it mean to be dead, though? Uh, As you continue to look, it says, in the ways you used to live or the ways you used to walk. So dead people don't walk, and we're not zombies. Um, So what does it mean to be dead, right? It's not non-responsive because they're walking, right? So what does it mean? Well, let's look at the first time the concept of death is mentioned in our Bibles. And you guessed it, it's in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, God gives a command to Adam and Eve, and he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. die. Right? Now, Adam and Eve were there, and they ate of said tree. Did they die physically, immediately? No. That's right. They did not die physically, not immediately. So what did they experience? They did experience death. They experienced the consequences of living contrary to God's plan immediately. So they started living life and getting consequences of death. And we see that in all these curses. Uh, Lauren is about to experience one of them in a few weeks, right? That it is painful to give labor uh in those things right so that's all we need to know about how separated we are right and in, in the levitical law if you touch something that is dead in the old testament you cannot be in the presence of god and all of these unclean laws a lot of scholars have tried to sum those things up and these things that are associated with death separate us from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we see from a really quick scan of the Bible of these verses? Death, spiritual death, expresses our separation from God. It is caused by our sin and it is evidenced by the way we live our lives or the way that we walk. So how is this death that we live in experienced in the way that we live? Well, Paul gives us three ways. Evidence number one, that we are dead in our transgressions. We follow the course of the world. Look in verse two with me. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The first evidence of our spiritual death is our relationship to the world. The world is used here is described as the culture or the atmosphere of where the enemies of God have created around them. So it's not just the people, but as people who are sinful live in community with one another, there is death everywhere. There are consequences everywhere. This world and these people who are against God, that is the ways that we used to follow those who are dead. And 1 John chapter 2 tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So if those are our options... It seems crazy that people are following the world, right? But those people are being deceived. We have been deceived. Why? Because the things of the world are tempting, right? Knowing uh, a doctor says you should not eat these foods doesn't make it an easy decision, right? Why? Because those things are tempting to us. And the world is good at temptation, is it not? There's a a New York Times article in 2007 uh, where there was a study done on advertising and how many ads people watch in a day. This is 2007. They came to see that people on average saw up to 5,000 advertisements a day. That's in 2007, That's before the smartphone, right? Imagine how much has changed since then. Facebook in 2019 reported $69 billion in advertising dollars in 2019. $69 billion. Advertising is an expensive business and everyone wants in on it. The world wants your attention on anything and everything except God, except his word, his church, and eternity. So what's tempting you this week? What biblical principle are you called to question and doubt because of the world? What part or aspect of the character of God is impugned in your mind because of what the world is throwing at you? What horrible news or what horrible event is causing you to doubt the character of God. Matt Chandler says, if you are not confident in the authority of the Scripture, you'll be a slave to what sounds right. And that's where we are. We followed the world. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, revealing the Scriptures and a commitment to follow them, you will get your morality from the world. We know we are spiritually dead because we are following the course of the world. The second evidence that we are dead is we follow the prince of the power of the air. Look again with me in verse 2, in which the ways you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and what the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Do you believe in spiritual beings? Like, really believe them? What does God's word tell us? They exist. But we live in a materialistic age. If I can't see it, touch it, or smell it, it does not exist. But the biblical authors describe a world that is supernatural, where spiritual beings exist in the realm of the air. We are in the midst of a spiritual war. Go back with me to Genesis 3 again. Did you you catch a character being there with Adam and Eve? Genesis 3 Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field than the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat. The fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The prince of this world prompted Adam and Eve into spiritual death. They decided to align themselves with Satan, who is created by God and not with God. But this isn't an Old Testament thing. Romans chapter 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling what? Mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What does that remind you of? Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity and the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and what? Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So this is Paul again. And it's interesting that Paul puts these things this way. Doesn't it sound like Genesis 3? They decided to serve Paul a created creature, Satan, instead of God. They decided, I'm going to align with somebody else and not God. His way sounds better than God's way. I'm going to follow you. We are under the wrath of God and spiritually dead because we would rather follow the devil than submit to God. Colossians chapter 2 that we read a little bit ago, it's a sister passage to this. I hope you hear some of those similarities as we go through this again. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And skipping down in Colossians 2 to what we read, and you who were dead in your trespasses, And the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Catch this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in them. So in this passage in Colossians 2, Paul is saying, don't let anyone take you captive. But we have been taken captive. We have followed the devil. We have followed the world. And part of the salvation that we receive is God triumphing over these powers and over Satan and snatching us back out of his hand. Paul doesn't say this is something to be shrugged off. It's like, that's one of those weird parts of Christianity that weird people have. They handle snakes. And we don't want to be anything a part of them. We are Christians. We we know the Bible. We're logical. We have good philosophical arguments for God. We are not a part of that weird stuff. This isn't something that's to be shrugged off. It's all over the New Testament. Beloved, the only thing worse than being in a war is being in a war and not knowing it. Think of Lord of the Rings in the Two Towers. So people are in their land, and there are enemies who are destroying their people. They're being killed by enemy forces, and their king does nothing. So his nephew comes to the king, and he says, Why aren't we fighting? Rally the troops. We have an enemy to fight. And the king's advisor, who's called Wormtongue, I think pretty aptly, right? Why? do you lay these troubles on an already troubled mind? Can't you see? Your uncle is wearied by your malcontent, your warmongering. People are dying, and he would rather deny that it's even happening than to fight. People are dying, and he is in a war, but he would rather not face it. Or think of Harry Potter. Uh, If you're not familiar, there's this bad guy, Voldemort. He uh, was wed away. Everybody thought he was dead, but he returned. And this head of the wizarding world, Cornelius Fudge, is in denial, right? And as you're reading or as you're watching this movie, you want to shake him and put your arms around his neck and say, wake up! He's denying evidence and he's silencing those who speak up about it. I don't want to hear about this. This is not happening. And it's not until he physically sees Voldemort that he finally says, He's back. He's in a war. People are dying, people are being kidnapped, and he doesn't even know what's going on. Church, wake up! The devil is real. And he is seeking whom he may devour. And if you are putting your eyes on anything else, and you don't have this in the forefront of your mind, the devil is winning. You are following the ways of the world. You are not having the same values as God. You are not seeing the world through his eyes. You have aligned yourself with the devil and his angels and with the world against God. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood but with principalities and with powers. Even now, Satan desires for you to fall asleep and to turn your nose up at the word of God and ask, when are we going to go eat? When do we get to go home and watch TV? When do we get something that's not boring? When do we get to go home? Even now, Satan is doing everything that they can to distract you and cause you to doubt the veracity of this. Twisting his word, that's not really what that means. This isn't really important. Do not doubt for a second that you are free of the devil's attention. Christian or non-Christian, Paul says that the devil is what? Now at work, presently at work, currently at work. We know we are spiritually dead because we follow the influence of Satan and his demons so we follow the ways of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air. And the third evidence that we're dead is we follow the passions of our body and mind. See, some of us claim we're too smart to be deceived. We're too discerning to be deceived. No, I, I'm not following anybody. I'm doing me. I'm doing whatever I want. I'm not deceived. And the truth is, that's right. We want to follow these things. You're deceived that you're following him, but you're not deceived because you don't want to follow these things. You do. I do. Look with me in verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time. See, he goes from you were following these to we. Paul includes himself. Go back again one more time to the garden with me. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. See, look at this picture again. Eve was not forced to take this fruit. Satan did not take her arm and get this fruit and shove it down her throat. No. She took the fruit because she thought it was good. Was she deceived into questioning God's character and his commands? Yes. Deceived into breaking God's command on accident? No. She saw the fruit and desired it. And despite having just told the serpent what the law of God is, she broke it because it seemed good to do so. Do you not realize that when you sin against the Lord, you don't immediately burst into flames? Committing sin is often pleasing to us. The reason Satan can tempt us is because sin is pleasing to us. But the consequences and the effects of sin are subtle. Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor His as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What happened? Therefore, God, what did he do? Gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. Did you catch this? How is God's wrath being revealed to us, which is the context of Romans chapter one? He says, you want sin? Go for it. And we reap the benefits, so to speak, the consequences of that sin. And it's easy to see. Look at the world around us. The consequences of thinking and denying the values of God are evident. He gives us over. See, these verses don't say that we simply did bad things. We're good people, but we just made mistakes. No. We lived out what was in our hearts and our minds. What does Jesus say about this in the Sermon on the Mount? He starts speaking about the commandments. When uh, I was learning to evangelize, I was learning to evangelize this way. Have you ever lied before? Do you think you've kept the Ten Commandments? Have you ever lied before? Yes. What does that make you? More specifically, a liar. Right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've only told a couple lies. That doesn't make me a liar. It's like... Okay, well, how many times do you have to murder someone to be a murderer? Once. How about committing adultery? No, 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 I've never done that. I'm good, I'm safe. Well, Jesus says, if you lust in a woman for your heart, you have already committed that sin in your heart. So have you lusted? Yes. What does that make you? An adulterer. So in your heart... You are, by your own admission, if you are following these questions, a liar and an adulterer in your heart. That's only two of the Ten Commandments. And that's not, we've made mistakes. This is the depths of who we are. It's really important for us to acknowledge and be aware of the influence of the world and of Satan. But Christianity isn't a dualistic religion. I'll say that again. Christianity isn't a dualistic religion. What do I mean by that? This is not God versus Satan. And we're damsels in distress in the middle. We're neutral. No, we're not getting to decide who we cast our lots in with. See, we don't need a a little cleaning around the edges. We need heart surgery. We aren't damsels in distress, through no fault of our own, we were just swept off of our feet and helpless. No, we're God's enemies. We hate God. Have you come to terms with this reality? Do you see your own life in this text? Do you see your life in these terms? Would this describe your life? Do you know the depth of your separation from God, look again at verse 3, my friends, among whom we all once lived. There are no exceptions, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He emphasizes we at one time lived this way. Many of you can say, yeah, I see that in other people. That This person that's on my mind, that is them to a T, but that's not me. I've never been that person. I've always loved God. I've always grown up in church. Yeah, I've made mistakes, but I'm not dead in trespasses and sins. I'm, I may be sick. That sounds like the publican that Jesus speaks about. He goes into the temple and he prays out loud, God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector, for he is a sinner. I have kept your laws and I am clean. Or like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son or the two lost sons. If you haven't been coming to Sunday school, I encourage you to come. Because this story of the prodigal son that we know is about two sons. And both are just as lost. One is farther away from God's house. One is closer to his house, but just as separated from the heart of God. Just as in need of a savior. I read an article That put it like this The human condition, according to these verses, prior to salvation is multidimensional in nature. Socially, it was lived according to the age of the world. Spiritually, it was subject to the control of the ruler of the power of the air, and morally, pursuing the desires of the flesh, an unhealthy mindset. Beloved, I beg you, how are we to respond to these things? Reject your old ways. Do not live in them any longer. Do not set this to the side and say, that's not me. Reject them, own them, reject the world, reject Satan and his demons, reject the sinful desires and passions of the depths of your own heart. But even so, we are still separated from God and expelled from his presence because of sin. We earned this death. We merited it for the wages of sin or death. If you are not in Christ right now, the word of God says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And even Paul here tells us the consequences. Look with me in verse 4, or the end of verse 3, excuse me. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of what? Wrath. Because God is good. And he will punish evil. For such a destructive force that we have had on God's world, that he has created, we deserve wrath and the death that it brings. But God, but God. Are these not the two most wonderful words you have ever read? He is not obligated to save us. We are dead. We spit in his face, just like we read earlier. We wished him dead. Said, I would rather take your stuff. And he loves us. First, we reject our old ways then we rejoice in the savior's work look with me in verse 4 this work is from his heart salvation is not something that god is obligated to by outside forces he would be totally within his rights to let us all face judgment to let us all go to prison to let us all face hell forever and it would be fair because we have been criminals We've not just broken the law at our heart. We love sin. He'd be right to save no one. But this salvation, what is it caused by? Verse 4, but because of his great love, because God who is rich in mercy, he is rich in these things and it comes from his heart. No one forces him to do these things. This is just who God is. Mercy is not giving someone something they deserve. So when someone slaps you in the face, what do they deserve? Get slapped in the face. But you do not, you withhold that from them, that's mercy. Withholding punishment. Grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. So when someone slaps you in the face, you give them a gift. That's grace. God does both of these in salvation. He withholds his wrath from us that is rightly due us, and he gives us a beautiful gift in salvation and redemption. Are any of you familiar? This is a beautiful illustration of God's love. Have any of you seen The Hiding Place about Corey Ten Boom or read this book? If you have not, I think it's on Amazon. It is amazing. It is the story of Corey Ten Boom. She's from Holland back in World War II, and her family hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Said that already. And because of their Christian faith. And they were found and they were taken to prison in Ravensbruck. And she survived the prison camp and went there with her sister, who died. And after she got out of this, her faith was strengthened because of going through these things, and she traveled around the world talking about God's love. And she even went to Germany, preaching forgiveness in Christ. And she talks about one particular um, time that she did those things. She goes to this church and is preaching about forgiveness, and how all of our sins have been thrown into the sea. But she sees a figure... And she sees in the crowd whom she recognizes as one of the soldiers who beat her in Ravensbrück. And this is how she describes that. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, her sister, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say... All our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he? One prisoner among thousands of women but I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbruck in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? What would you do? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours. And I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses and I stood still with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started into my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I've never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Wow. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a mighty God we serve. Our hearts overflow into sin, but God's heart overflows in mercy and grace and love. And God isn't even done yet. I know i'm out of time i'm trying to move fast his work is in christ alone it not only springs from his heart but is in christ alone notice that all these things that he gives us are only found in christ and it points us back to ephesians 1 where he says all these same things about what christ has already done he makes us alive with christ he not only leaves us in our deadly state but he makes a way for us to be alive he gives us a new heart he fills us with the holy spirit Is this how you would describe your salvation? From death to life? Beloved, that's how God describes your salvation. It doesn't have to be radical from going from drug dealer to preacher, but it does go as radical from death to life. And that is amazing. And don't let anyone take that away from you. He raised us up with him. Death is the natural consequence of sin. But Christ not only died for our sins, he rose from the dead for our sins. And we will live again. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Christ is our hope in life and death. But he also did even more than that. He seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. We're not only invited to experience new life with new hearts, but we're invited to follow Jesus to be resurrected from the dead into a new life, but he gives us status as sons and daughters, just like the prodigal son. He comes back hoping to be a servant, and he says, no, get the robe, get the ring, get the calf. You are my son. He has shown God has snatched us out of the ways of the world, the snare of the devil, our own hearts, and the grip of death itself. He has shown his mighty power by crushing these through the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Also beating the powers in doing so. Colossians 2, he disarmed the rulers. All of these things, brothers and sisters, can be yours right now but they are only in Christ. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What's the response of your heart towards these things? Is it cold? Is it familiar? Yeah, I've heard this before. I don't need that. That sounds great, but who cares? Other things are more important. The correct response is to rejoice. So I pray that we would reject our old ways and that we would rejoice at the work of the Savior and that we would receive salvation by faith. The third response, receive salvation by faith. I know I don't have time. Here's the main point for this passage. God has saved us in such a way that he gets all the glory for it. You have nothing to do with it. Salvation is unattainable on your own. There's nothing that you can do to require it from God. What do you have to bargain with? Everything you have is given to you by God. He has done salvation in this way to exclude us from boasting. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. It is in the exclusion of worthiness that the worth of true faith is brought out. Our faith is not our righteousness. It's simply the instrument by which we receive righteousness. Our faith does not justify us. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that justifies us and nothing else. Faith is the instrument or channel by which this righteousness comes to me. It can be yours, but it is only by faith. One final illustration as we're closing. On July 15th of 1859, there was a man who's a tightrope walker and thrill chaser named Charles Blondin. He walked backward across a tightrope from Niagara Falls to Canada and returned pushing a wheelbarrow. There were thousands there gathered to watch him because he's nuts, obviously. <laughs> but he's pushing a wheelbarrow, and he says, do you believe that I can get across? And they're like, yes, we just saw you do it. Why wouldn't we believe that you could do it? Yes, yes. He says, well, if you believe, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? See, some of you have the kind of faith these onlookers had. Yes, I believe that that God exists. I believe church is a good idea. But when it comes to living it out, when it comes to getting in the wheelbarrow, you're silent. See, biblical faith is the kind of faith that gets in the wheelbarrow. So I ask you, what kind of faith do you have? You have a faith without works. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the kind of faith those who professed with their mouth Yeah, I believe you could push me across a tightrope, but they'll never get in with their actions. Or maybe you have the faith of demons. My preaching professors put this to me a few days ago. James 2.19, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe and shudder. My professor put it this way. "The, The faith of the demons is orthodox. They have right knowledge and right views about God. They believe God is one. And more than that, they have an emotional response. They believe God is one and they shudder, they tremble. But they don't have saving faith because they will not obey God. So we see that we need to reject our old ways, rejoice in the work of the Savior, and receive salvation by faith maybe you're hearing the gospel put this way for the first time your situation is dire there will be no escaping god on judgment day you are dead in your trespasses and sins apart from jesus you realize that you're not a good person that has made mistakes at your core you love sin and you hate god just like i did you're following the ways of this world, following the ways of Satan, throwing your lot in with him instead of God and indulging what, whatever seems right and good to you, regardless of what the world says. And you're asking, that's me. What do I do? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Three quick things from that. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So in front of others, you say that God is my Lord. He is my master. Whatever he commands, I will do because he is in charge of my life. I give him the keys to the whole house. There's no room off limits for him. And that he is God. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is one with the Father. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If You believe that he has lived a perfect sinless life and that he has died on your behalf and that he really did rise again from the dead you will count it will be saved Romans 10:13 everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved if you are that person this morning cry out to God for forgiveness confess Jesus Christ as God and Lord of your life today God's word promises if you get in the wheelbarrow you will be saved today. Christian, maybe you've become cold to your salvation. How do you respond to this? Ask God to break your heart. and Remind you how great a salvation he has won for you. Ask him to burden your heart for the dire situation of those around you, that you have the access to the gospel that they need. Ask for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Maybe you're a Christian, you've been sitting on your ticket to heaven and have not engaged in the spiritual war that is going on around you. You aren't learning to obey all that God has commanded. You're content with having a comfortable mental assent to Jesus. Beloved son and daughter of God, that comfortable mental assent to Jesus that's saved doesn't exist. It's nowhere in the New Testament. In closing, Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared for beforehand, that we should walk in them. See, our old state was we walked in our own desires, according to the ways of the world and of the devil and of our heart. But now, God does not desire us to go to neutral and sit on a shelf. No, he desires us to walk, to live the way that he intended us to in the first place. God didn't simply punch our ticket to heaven. He has saved us not to bring us back to neutral, but to live in a way that represents him. See, life, spiritual life, expresses our salvation to God, caused by his grace, accessed through faith, and evidenced by the way we walk or live our lives. The proper response to salvation is to refuse your old way of living. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Savior's work, and receive salvation by faith. Beloved, this is not you today. The devil is doing everything he can to tell you that anything is more important, or this is not true, or I don't like what I'm hearing, but it is true. This is the greatest news that you will ever hear, but it is not coming to you by default. You must receive it by faith. Do that today. Would you pray with me?